The dramatic situation in Europe, the invasion, the war between Russia and Ukraine are affecting the energy market and creates instability and uncertainty all around the world. The outcome of this crisis is hard to predict, but what we know so far is that it is already affecting us all. How do we keep going green and how do we keep our focus when the world has an extremely high energy demand? It has been six months since we started the offshore phase of Hyven Tampen. What is the current status on this project and what have we learned so far and off? How does the Hyven Tampen project fit into the big energy picture? My name is Marianne Möxter and I am your host in of Talks. Today I am so lucky that I have two guests with me here in studio to answer these very important questions. Jan Christian Hökeland, also known as JK from DOF, and Harald Solberg from Norwegian Ship Owners Association, Norges Rederiforbund. Today we will focus on energy and especially greener energy, as this is of major importance for the maritime industry. And I know this is a subject that is on your desk more or less all day and that you are both very keen to talk about. So I'm very much looking forward to this chat and a very warm welcome to both of you. Thank you, Mariana. It's good to be back. I'm looking <laughs> forward to the conversation with uh, you and Harald on the topics. And thank you for the invitation, Mariana. Great to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you to both of you. And Harald, we need a short introduction to you. Who are you and what is your responsibility? Yeah, I'm Harald Solberg and I am the CEO of Norwegian Ship Owners Association and I, I have been in the position since 2018. And uh, my responsibility is to, to run uh, our business association uh, and to cover our members' needs in, in all uh, segments, both deep sea uh, shipping, short sea shipping and all offshore oil and gas and renewable shipping industries. Very good. JK, we start with a short recap of Hyventampen and let's go back to the start of this podcast series. In the first episodes, we talked a lot about this project. So I think we are all very keen to, to hear where we are now. How is the project going so far and what has happened since we talked about this last time? Yeah, no, thank you, Mariana. I, um, I think I'll start with a headline. I think it has gone extremely well. Good. Of course, we were very concerned about a few things when we were sitting on uh, on the roller coaster here and getting started uh, with this uh, project. Uh, but uh, all in all, um, I think the headline should be that it has gone well or very well. Uh, maybe a bit of the status uh, into the details then is that uh, we were supposed to install um, 19 suction anchors with the Scandi Skansen. That went very well. It went better than planned. We spent less time offshore than what was estimated and uh, maybe we were a bit lucky but also I think you earn your luck mm. by being well prepared. Uh, then for the installation of the turbines um, that has also gone well but we have only installed seven of the total of 11 turbines so there are still four turbines to be installed. The status on uh, the four they are at the assembly yard Ja, in Gul. Uh, in Gul, ja. ja. Slöborg, ja, mm. as we say. Mm. Bergeland Base. 
So they, the last one I spoke to Fredrik, you know, the project manager, just before I came over to the studio here, and he told me now that the four turbines are out on the mooring system. Mm. So, uh, and the big crane has left the site that was starting to be demobilized on the 15th of October. This is the big crane that is, has been required to install or assemble the turbines. Mm. Um, so there are four turbines sitting on, you know, four different anchor systems in the fjord. And uh, we are going to conduct what we call the winterization of the four turbines. So they will stay there. And then the plan is to go out uh, in April, middle of April, end of April next year, when the season starts in the North Sea, to install the last four turbines. Mm. So um, in summary, the seven turbines that are out there, they are connected up. I also understand that they are producing energy. Mm. There are still four to be installed, and the plan for us is now to make sure that they are looked after over the winter and then we go out uh, in April uh, next year. Good. Um, can you say short, uh, JK, what has Duff learned over the last months from this project? I, I think, uh, and that was something we, there are many learnings, but if I could try to keep it to a few, few short and maybe sweet or key ones, I... Uh, I think it's really to understand, I mean, Hyvind Tampen is a relatively small project in the size of forthcoming projects mm. with, uh, you know, a bit less than 100 megawatt, uh, 88, I guess, is the yeah. design, but it's actually a bit over 90, you know, but round figures. Mm. But if you are then looking at sites which have maybe 500 or uh, 10 times the size of Hyvind Tampen, from 100 to maybe 500 or one gigawatt. It's a lot more turbine. So this industrialization mm. and the marine logistics, I think is a key lesson, not just for us, but also for our clients. Uh, mm. How do you, can you actually install or have ready a lot of turbines in a season mm. in the North Sea, which we know is relatively short. Mm. So I, I think that is one thing that I need to bring forward. And we will, of course, discuss this further with our end client, Aquinor. Mm. How can we further improve on this? Mm. But maybe the most important learning I would like to put on the table is the know-how of what you actually are doing uh, in preparing for going offshore, but also the execution of the work. So uh, to have competent people in the onshore, I call it the engineering and the project management of the project, and then also to have a very trained marine crew, I think is for me the most important learning from the project. Mm. So uh, the people side, the software side, if I can call it that, both onshore in the preparation phase, but also in the ex- execution phase, and this we can do it attitude, mm. I think for me is the maybe the, the most important and the key learning. Marianne, can I, can I ask a question uh, to yes, you, JK? Yes, please would, do. Would it be possible, uh, in your view, to uh, do this operation uh, that successfully that you have done now without your competence and experience from the offshore oil and gas activities? For me, that is a clear no. We would mm. not have been able to do it. Mm. And I think this, I guess what you're alluding to, Harald, is that to use the know-how, and I'm now talking maybe more specifically to the floating than the fixed, but I also think that also sits a bit with the fixed one. But since Hyvind Tampen was so is a floating, you know, offshore wind turbine park, I think there is a lot of experience that we can take from oil and gas and move into mm. the, the offshore floating wind market. Mm. And I think we, 
you know, here in Norway, we have some benefits uh, that mm. uh, we need to build on. And I'm sure we will come back to that uh, later on in the conversation, Mariana. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we will. And I guess that is also what we have talked about in an earlier episode, that the development we see now uh, within the renewables is more or less done on the backbone of the oil and gas industry that we all have been um, a, a big part of. Very good. Um, so let's move a bit into this greener maritime future. Uh, the Norwegian maritime industry employs almost 85,000 people in Norway and it creates value for over 150 billion NOx a year. And Norway is ranked as the world's fifth largest maritime nation in terms of fleet value. I think we can say that we have left behind us some challenging years in many of the maritime industry's segments. But I think we are all more optimistic for the years to come and we see increased activity and demand for our services. So Harald, let me hear this in your words. Are you optimistic for the future for the maritime industry? Yeah, I'm very optimistic and I think we have... A, a great opportunity uh, both to develop the, uh, our industries uh, going forward and also create a new solution that the world uh, needs. Uh, we need to, we know that we need to reduce the emissions from our mm. ships, so we mm. need to uh, find new solutions and decarbonize our industry. Uh, we need to uh, to develop more energy, also in the oil and gas activities, but also in the renewable. And uh, we know that the maritime services will be very important to develop uh, uh, new renewable energy uh, from our oceans. And we can utilize the competence and the uh, and the uh, ships from or offshore and gas activities into re- the renewable, uh, as mm. we have heard uh, mm. JK mm. alluding into. Uh, so I think I am optimistic on behalf of our industry, but I'm also concerned about the situation uh, in around the world, mm. especially the war in Ukraine. Uh, makes us uh, uh, having great concern for the coming winter, mm. uh, and we are also concerned about the higher tensions between US and China uh, and the following consequences of uh, a more uh, intense conflict between US and China will definitely influence the whole shipping community. Mm. And maybe also the political instability in Norway is not helping either? No, it's not helping and we we had hope for a more stable framework uh, from the Norwegian government and we are uh, still in discussions about the state uh, budget for for next year. So there is uh, still time to influence the process, but uh, we uh, we, we are also concerned about the situation domestically in in Norway, but we also see great opportunities uh, here in Norway. we think uh, we have great opportunities to develop our own uh, energy sector uh, to increase uh, the the amount of uh, renewable energy uh, from the Norwegian continental shelf. Uh, but we need to have a more uh, stable uh, and forward-leaning framework. Uh, so we urge the government to to uh, establish a, uh, to establish high ambitions and clear framework for developing of uh, renewable. Uh, offshore wind industry in in Norway as well, but we know we know that for our members uh, the uh, high investments in offshore wind in Europe uh, will be an important uh, activity uh, for the coming years. So so we think we can we can take the same medicine here in Norway as well uh, mm. and increase the activities here. Mm. Yeah, because I think this was also mentioned um, in this maritime outlook report that 
you are publishing every year, that we, in a way, we are well on the way into the era of offshore wind. Uh, but this is to a great extent happening in other countries. And it is mentioned by the members that a domestic market for floating offshore wind is important for our ability to compete internationally. And it's also further mentioned that the government's strategy for offshore wind does not provide the necessarily momentum. I think both of you have a reply on this. Yeah, from my pa- my part, uh, uh, I uh, I definitely agree uh, <laughs> with the quote. With the report. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we think this is a great opportunity to, for for the Norwegian industry. And if we look and compare to the offshore oil and gas industry, we have we have gained uh, uh, international competitiveness uh, from our home market uh, in offshore oil and gas. Uh, but now in the off- renewable area, uh, we have the opposite. We need to, we, we need to develop our uh, competitiveness uh, on, mm. on foreign continental shelf and bring the competence back to Norway. Uh, mm. And we think, uh, we think uh, the government should, uh, should uh, uh, step up and create a home market. We know that uh, the home market is very important uh, to develop uh, new technology and uh, and uh, also increase the competitiveness uh, internationally. So, we are very uh, we we are pushing hard to to on the government to to uh, do the necessary uh, conclusions in on on the frameworks uh, and and on on the development of a Norwegian industry. Mm. JK. Yeah, and as you know, I've also been quite vocal about even in this po- <laughs> podcast, uh, you know, the last time we spoke, Marianne. So yeah. uh, this is something that is, uh, I would say, very close to my heart. And I I don't understand why the Norwegian politician doesn't see this opportunity because we are really, really behind. There, um, the targets are a bit, I would say, wishy-washy. Mm. So, uh, you know, what is our ambition as a nation? I think, uh, and I concur 100% with Harald, the reason why we have done so well in oil and gas is because we have had a very strong home market and have been able to develop technical solutions and competence that we have been able to export abroad. Mm. So you could maybe say that the Norwegian home market has been a bit of a laboratory for us uh, to develop technology, but also the human capital related mm. to the developments. And I think we need to, I don't know, mirror that model or uh, Norway going forward. We are, uh, because of, I guess, the DNA of the people, we are used to harvesting from the sea. I think mm. that was also your introduction to this uh, podcast, Mariana. Even my relatives used to be fishermen, you know, so mm. we are very close to the sea and to harvest from the sea. If it's energy or if it's food, that will be for I think for the next decade or two or three or maybe for the next hundred hundred years. So the next era now and moving into a greener um, situation is that how can we as a nation harvest more Mm. from the offshore wind market coming up and then you have the fixed and you have the floating. But the Norwegian government and um, the parliament need to make sure that there is a framework around it with very, very clear ambitions that we can survive it in. We have seen some improvements, mm. and I think it's mainly driven by, again, this crisis that we see now in Europe around energy, mm. that there is more urgency around getting, uh, you know, uh, a solution or more firmer solution on the table. But I would still claim that UK are light years ahead of us when it comes to having some very, very clear ambitions. What is, of course, exciting, if I should say, 
two words about uh, some things that I would call positive is that Equinor are now looking very closely at accelerating, you know, a plan to develop uh, what mm. they call trollwind. Mm. And that is to electrify uh, the uh, troll area mm. and put in one gigawatt of uh, turbines. That is roughly 65 to 70 turbines. And uh, that uh, they are looking to do in 27, 28. And that, if you talk about 27, is only five years ahead. Mm. And it's, you know, next door, you know, to where I guess we are operating from. So it's uh, just outside the Sognefjord mm. where we have been uh, working on having uh, Trumpen. So that one is a very, very close project, mm. a very real project on the Norwegian side. Mm. But Utsira and uh, Sørlige Norge still, you know, have some way to go. Mm. And I wish there was more licenses available and a much, much higher target or ambition put out uh, by the Norwegian government on where mm. we want to go as a, I, I would say, an energy nation. So, so this troll project is more or less the same as we have done on Hyventampen, just bigger scale? Yeah, they call it, uh, it is, um, how do I say it, it's Hyventampen on uh, steroids, you know. So instead <laughs> of 11, 11 turbines, we are talking about bigger turbines, som nearly twice the size, from 8 to 16, 15, 60 megawatt, so bigger turbines. And then, of course, significant. So you can multiply that 11, we'll say six, mm. so six times, but everything is much bigger. Harald? Yeah, I think for Norway's energy nation, we need to look into the crystal ball and uh, look into the energy transformation. And mm. uh, we are an important energy nation with mm. high production on hydropower. We are an important energy nation on oil and gas. Mm. And uh, But the uh, next phase of the energy transition will be the renewable. And mm. to to be a key player also in the renewable field, mm. we need to step up and invest uh, in the renewable industries. Mm. And I think it's very important to use uh, the oil and gas activities on the Norwegian continental shelf and the need for electrification of, of, uh, of the platforms. Uh, there we could in, uh, use and we should utilize the uh, power from, from offshore wind rather than uh, from, from uh, onshore uh, energy production. We do, do not need to put cables from from offshore hydropower uh, in, onto the continental shelf, we could rather utilize the uh, high uh, power supply from, from offshore wind uh, directly onto the platforms. And I, I think that would be a more uh, more useful energy uh, use. And, and I think it, it will also uh, reduce the conflicts in the energy system uh, in, in Norway in total if we utilize the offshore wind to electrify the platforms. Mm. Uh, I think we let's let's continue on 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 that path because we see now an extremely high energy demand. Uh, I think all over the world, mm. and I think we all conclude um, that the oil and gas needs, in a way, to go hand in hand with the renewable. We need uh, what can I say? All the energy sources we can get because we see that demand are increasing so fast. So. How how can we take this this further? How can we continue developing oil and gas and at the same time uh, focus on the more uh, what can I say greener alternatives? I, I think we can have two uh, thoughts in the mind at the same time. We can uh, reduce the emissions from oil and gas activities. We can do or we have to do what we can do to run our businesses as energy efficient as possible. To uh, also. Uh, um, 
decarbonize uh, the ships. Uh, we need to utilize uh, alternative uh, energy. We need carbon capture uh, in uh, in our value chains, uh, and we need to develop uh, a new renewable energy. But we also need. Uh, to understand that we need the energy uh, mm. either from hydrocarbons or from green electrons. We need energy to run our societies. So we, we can't stop uh, one energy source and think we are well off. We, mm. we need to to run our societies and we need to do it in a responsible way. And we, at the same time, we need to uh, solve the climate crisis. So there is a uh, tricky uh, uh, challenge for to all of us. But I think that with the... With the, the uh, all the great people we have in our industry, we can we we are we can solve the solve the solution, mm. uh, and we need to find solutions for for the future. Mm. Now I concur with what Harald is saying. Uh, we we need to have two thoughts in our head. So uh, and when I'm out talking to clients, and that is more the traditional oil and gas, not energy company, because mm. they like still to call themselves oil and gas companies, is that. The, in the boardrooms, the, there is a clear you know, direction of these companies to have access to what they call quick hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. And that is because the crisis that we are in now, I guess. Uh, mm. At least whether we like it or not, but maybe that is not the right phrase. Right? Because I think the world needs to become greener. That is just mm-hmm. how we are going mm-hmm. to save the planet. But we need to be able to still you know, consume ho- hydrocarbons, but in a more greener way. And storage and and uh, and uh, well, capture and storage, I think, is a technology that we will see a lot of a uh, lot more of going uh, going forward. While we are transiting into more offshore uh, wind, mm. both floating and fixed, and uh, but we also see other alternatives, maybe not so common in the northern part of Europe, but where solar panels or solar energy are also coming up on high up on, on the radar. Mm. So we need as much energy sources as as possible. Mm. Personally I also think nuclear will, you know, still come back on the mm. on the map again. But since we are in the industry we are focusing on the offshore resources, I think that oil and gas and offshore wind needs to go hand in hand. Mm. And uh, we need to make sure that there are clearer plans for the need of our, um, call it, uh, support to develop that industry. And very often we see it's the same clients. Mm. Mm. It's also traditional oil and gas company transiting in to become, you know, uh, energy companies that is needing, uh, you know, to invest more in things like offshore, uh, offshore wind. And what Harald mentioned when, you are looking at what is the max, maybe the next natural step for some of these companies is to, instead of take electricity from shore, is to put an infrastructure around existing platforms and run them, you know, with the power. And maybe there is so so much surplus power that you can actually say that uh, you have what we call these hybrid cables that is sending the electricity ashore. Ashore, back again. Mm. Mm. And I think in the green transition, we also will see a lot of interesting prospects uh, when it comes to seabed mining to to extract uh, minerals from from the seabed, and that is, of course, a also a challenging industry because it is very easy to to uh, stop for, or from 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 the environmental side to say no uh, to seabed mining. But I think uh, for for the green shift, we need the minerals from from the seabed. So I think it's more a question on how to do. That activity is in a sustainable way uh, going forward. So I think when it comes to 
offshore opportunities we need uh, to still uh, uh, develop our oil and gas activities. We, we see a lot of interesting prospects on the offshore wind and we see also interesting projects on, on seabed mining. So in total, uh, I think uh, the future for this industry is very, uh, is very interesting. Very interesting and I think also very, very busy. It's a lot of things that we are going to do. But we have also to, we have to touch upon decarbonization and this alternative fuel that we have been talking a lot about in, I think, in all, uh, what can I say, in all, in all companies uh, along, along the coast. Um, and for us to reach our ambition uh, to, uh, to reduce our carbon footprint, we really need uh, to focus on that. Um, so Harald, where are we going on that part? I think we will uh, we will uh, develop uh, uh, several paths uh, going forward. There is no quick fix on this. There is no silver bullet. Uh, no one solution. One, not one solution that fits all. We need. Mm. We know that in the, for instance, in the ferry sector, uh, batteries and electricity uh, fits well. But uh, but batteries and electricity will not work in in short sea shipping or deep sea shipping. So we need to find other alternative uh, uh, solutions. Uh, so I think and and in from the NSA perspective, we are. We say that we are fuel agnostics. We don't believe uh, in in fuels, so we think uh, uh, different segments have to develop uh, different strategies. Uh, but now we see a lot of interesting projects going on on hydrogen, on ammonia, on mm. bio uh, fuel, uh, on carbon capture and storage on board ships. Uh, mm. Actually, so I think we will uh, have a future where uh, different segments explore uh, different alternatives. Uh, but that, uh, and, and I'm very proud that the, the Norwegian maritime industry we are in the forefront on on developing uh, on developing alternatives. But I think there's one very important uh, message, and that we we can't accept any unsafe solutions on board. So we need to to take care of the safety uh, of all the seafarers on board uh, when we uh, develop uh, and. Uh, and try to find uh, alternative solutions and alternative energy. Mm. How can the government support us here? Or what can the government do to, what can I say, force this in a good way? I think we can uh, spend the money right uh, and uh, to to uh, influence and to speed up the development of alternatives. I think we should uh, put a price on carbon uh, and we should use the money collected from the price on carbon to uh, reduce the risk for the ship owners uh, in investing uh, in new solutions. We know that all other solutions uh, to to the current uh, energy, uh, to the current fossil energy, they are more expensive, uh, more risky. Uh, so we need to de-risk for the ship owner uh, the investments in in alternatives, and that could be uh, you, that could be done through a price on carbon and uh, and uh, spend the money collected to to de-risk the uh, investments and we have done that in in the nox uh, side mm. in norway we have the nox fund mm. uh, and uh, from 2024 uh, the ship owners will will probably pay into the european union uh, quota system uh, and this money collected in the EU uh, will come back to Norway for the shipping industry's part. So I think, or, or we are working towards the Norwegian government to spend this money in a, a green transition scheme uh, for the shipping industry. Hmm. I am maybe so I support all and everything you're saying. A bit just from the DOF perspective, of course, mm. is that. Uh, 
we have different types of vessels, you know, PSVs, anchorhandlers, and then mm. bigger, bigger construction boats. And some of them are operating more locally where maybe the local rules and regulations are in Europe, if you can kind of come up with some kind of common taxonomy for, for instance, CO2 uh, or NOx emission, you know, that can maybe kick back to the owner. Uh, then for the more global assets, you know, you know, one year that could be half year that could be in Brazil, the mm. next they are in, mm. in, in, in uh, working in, in Australia or maybe in Africa, where mm. there might be di- very different, mm. uh, you know, uh, solutions uh, and also maybe different, very different infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So for instance, to have access to ammonia or hydrogen in Angola, I don't see that happening, uh, you know, within this decade. And I think there are, therefore we need to look at this with the different types of vessels we have in DOF. Mm. We need to monitor this, but we have the very clear mind that we need to be part of the technical development of the solutions. And of course, I support Harald 200% on the, the safety side. Mm. Harald, mm. you have a comment? Yeah, but I think uh, Christian has a good point. And I think uh, in the future, we will not necessarily have the uh, access to the same uh, energy in different parts of the world. So mm. I think uh, many will uh, think to uh, build or invest in dual fuel uh, mm. capacities that can utilize different energies uh, depending on, on the operation. Yeah, depending on where you are in a way. Yeah. Mm. Very good. We are in a way uh, coming to an end of this very interesting uh, conversation. Um, it has been uh, it has been a very good chat. Any uh, ending uh, comments from you, Harald? I think the most important thing to uh, realize uh, for us as, a, as an industry that, that we need to attract uh, the right talents to our industry. So we need to uh, we need to uh, drive uh, our industry uh, in a high speed uh, in the right direction and attract uh, the best people in in the world to uh, solve uh, all the challenges that we are uh, seeing. So, so I think uh, it's all about people. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to an end, uh, we need to have creative minds and we need to have people with a purpose in our uh, organization. So I think uh, for us as an industry, it's very important to to underline that we uh, have uh, we have great opportunities mm. and we need to uh, to uh, we need to attract uh, the right talents to our industry. Mm. And I think also what we have talked about is cooperation and collaboration. We cannot solve this alone. We need to work together. This is not a competition. Here we need all hands on deck. JK, any any comment from you on this? That, that was my point, uh, if I could add, because I 100% uh, support Harald on his comment about uh, attracting the right people and retain the right people, develop the right people, uh, both onshore and offshore for this industry. Mm. And remember, it's a big industry. Uh, I also would like to maybe vote a bit for the female part of the population around the globe, you know, that they also have a job to, or opportunities in the maritime sector. Uh, I, I think that is important to also highlight that it's not just male people that can work on board a vessel. Uh, mm. And I mentioned, you know, the competence when I spoke about driving Tampa. Mm. And mm. I think these operations become, at least from our side, more and more complex. Um, mm. At the same time, there is a huge technology development uh, taking mm. place in parallel, where maybe within this decade, we can actually run more of the operations from shore. Mm. Who knows? Mm. But 
this is a global problem when you're talking about the energy crisis, but also the transition. Mm. And we have to work together, you know, companies cannot solve it on their own. Mm. Um, groups of companies cannot solve it on their own. We need to lift this together mm. as an industry around the globe, but also, you know, by countries cooperating much, much closer together. Mm. I mean, CO2 emission is not uh, from uh, one uh, one company or one, uh, call it fume pipe, it's actually something that is emissioning to the whole globe. Mm. So unless we have a common or global perspective on the, on the challenge, we can not solve it. So mm. that is why we have to solve it together. And I think that is, at least for me, very important to look on it. And of course, we can think big, but we need to start a bit small and move it in the right direction. Mm. Mm. So competence and cooperation, that is key word I think to so. actually solve this challenge. Mm. Mm. People, competence and collaboration. Mm. People, competence and collaboration. Very good. Thank you very much. It has been a very inspiring talk. Uh, thank you for visiting us, Harald. Thank you. And thank you, JK, for coming back to us here in Dof Talks. Thank you. This was our last episode of Dof Talks, at least for now. Thanks to all of you for listening to our podcast. It has been a pleasure for me to be your host here in Dof Talks. We have talked about so many interesting and important subjects. And we have had so many really, really nice guests here in studio, on site in Gulen, on the Vassal Skandiskansen, and also in our office in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, my hope is that you have received some good insights about what goes on in DOF, about our competitive edge for the future, and also the challenges we are facing right here and now. I hope you feel closely connected with the different parts of DOF and with all our great colleagues. For us, for DOF having an organization with a global footprint, with employees and vessels sailing and operating worldwide, I would say that the podcast has been a very good way and a good tool to reach out, to communicate and really share the good and important stories. It is you, our people, that is our most important asset. Without you, there is no DOF. So until next time, thank you, and I really hope to see you all again soon.